We're in this series called Decision 2012. It's really not about politics, although we spent one week on it. Uh, We're really talking about the decisions that really do affect our life. And we're going to talk about kind of a decision today that I think is pretty important. And uh, because of the experience that I've had in my life, because of what I've learned from other people, and what I know in general about this subject. Some time ago, in this theological journal called the Reader's Digest, there was a story about this traveler who was in between flights at an airport, had a layover. So they, they went into a little, one of the little shops there, and they bought this little package of cookies. Well, she sat down, and she began to read her newspaper waiting for her flight. Gradually, she, as she was reading, she became aware of this kind of rustling sound over by to her left, and it sounded like, you know, cellophane, and all of a sudden, she kind of, you know, just kind of glanced over from her newspaper, and she saw this well-dressed, neat man, kind of distinguished, over there eating her cookies. Well, uh, she, 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 what do I do? So she says, well, I'm going to take one of my cookies. So she went, reaches over and grabs one, and she then continues to read, and she's looking, and all of a sudden, she hears the crinkling of the paper again, and the guy grabs another one. And pretty soon, this goes on for a number of minutes, and finally, there's one left, and as she looks over and hears the, the, the crinkling of the, the cellophane, she sees the guy break it in half, take half, and push half to her. And so now she's just really ripped. And she's trying to, what am I going to do? But she just kind of keeps her calm reading the paper. But she's just, you know, the steam is going, it's rising. And finally she has to get up and go on to her plane. I'll come back to that in a few minutes. Um, I want to talk to you today about some financial principles. This is a total flyby, okay? This is not in-depth But because of what we're doing today and because I believe one of the most important decisions every person, every family can make really centers on what do you do with your finances. Jesus said more about money than any other topic that he talked about except for the kingdom of God. Out of his 30 parables, almost two-thirds of them, I believe it's 19, had an economic context or uh, information in them. Why would Jesus talk so much about this? Because Jesus is as relevant today as he was 2,000 years ago. I believe he talks about money, materialism, and resources because he knows how important it is to us. That we all have to deal with this issue. The Bible actually has about 2,300 scriptural teachings about material goods and generosity and giving. I am convinced of this, and I've seen it lived out in the life of Creeksiders. God calls us to be people who give, people who are generous. Now, as a pastor, I will tell you that uh, in our annual celebration meeting this past year, um, which is our annual business meeting that uh, everybody's invited to, but it's where we go over our finances and we talk about vision and all these different things, I I shared with the church that the people that came, and I might share these at the end or the first of the year, but there's five areas that I dropped the ball in in the last two years. As a pastor, I didn't drop the ball. I took my eye off the ball. When you take your eye off the ball, you usually miss things, and that's what happened to me in the last couple of years and some of the things that have happened to the church. One of those five areas was finances. And the reason is is because... Uh, First of all, in my life, money has never been a driving force. I use it. I manage it. I like it. But it doesn't motivate me, and it definitely doesn't drive me. In this church, from probably 2002 or 2003 on, um, money has never been an issue. God has blessed us. But where I took my eye off the ball is I have not taught our church about stewardship, giving, being generous, as well as taking care of your money and how to do that. And what I have done is I have begun to really uh, rob some of the blessing of you that don't understand how currency works in the spiritual realm. And so I told the people that night, I'm going to begin to talk about it a little bit more. 
Now, um, if you're here for the first time, you're thinking, great. One time I come and they're talking about money. Well, I'm not really talking about money. I'm talking about money, but I'm talking about it in a lot of different ways. I'm going to give you nine different flybys on this. And, uh, because I want to help you. But as a pastor, I, 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 I would not, I would bet that there's not too many pastors that you could find. I don't say this to my credit now, I used to, that, have, that, that speak and talk about money less than I do. But I need to for your benefit. As I told first service, I've, I don't think, uh, I said never, that's a big word, but I, 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 part of my philosophy is, and there are times when this church has struggled big time, but I never talked about money when we needed it. I only talked about money to this church and giving and stewardship and the whole thing of different uh, uh, financial issues. I've never talked about it in a time of need, only when this church was doing well. And the reason is, is because I didn't ever want anybody to say, well, pastor must need a raise or, you know, boy, the church must not be doing too good, so he's talking about it. I, I, I just, listen, you're not the source here. God is. The key of you is if you're listening to God. But I've never looked at you or this church as the source of what's going to take place here. God is our first source. And if you're listening and walking and growing in your love and your relationship with God, that all just kind of flows out of it. This is the time of year, you know, when we, be, we remember that Jesus Christ, the lover of your soul, of my soul, this is when he came 2,000 years ago in humility, in the form of a man, where he left heaven, the glory and the grandeur and the beauty and the perfection of heaven to come and give you and me the greatest gift, generosity, the generous gift of salvation. And because we serve a giving God, I believe that he calls us to be givers as well. In our world right now, you know that there's still some economic stress going on. It's probable that there's a number of people in this room that you are still feeling the ripple effects. The little circles that just kind of ripple out and you're still feeling it. Maybe it's financial cuts. Maybe it's a job cut, whatever. But you're, you're experiencing some of that. And people go, well, man, what are we going to pull out of this thing? Is God ever going to pull? I don't know. I don't know it's ever going to be as good. Uh, one of the things I do do is I got my little phone app. You know, I, I look at Zillow. You ever watch Zillow? You know, you kind of track how your home is doing in terms of its wealth, I mean, its worth. You know, most of us have probably seen it drop. Ooh. So about once a month, I check it just to see if it's inching up. Well, it is a little bit. So, but I don't know if we're ever going to pull out of this thing. This is what I think. I think the God of Mammon is, is flatlining. Jesus said that, you know, we can serve one of two masters. We can serve Mammon, which is really money and treasures and goods, or we can serve God, but you can't serve both. And I wonder that if in some way this God of Mammon and money and goods isn't flatlining so that God can begin to teach us about where our real security is. Can I tell you something? This God of mammon, first of all, isn't alive, but if he is dead, he won't resurrect. Not like our Savior, not like the one we know. And God wants us to come back and be secure in who he is, not our money. So I got a question for you. How are people today in our culture, how are Christ followers, how are you doing generally when it comes to living with financial wisdom from God's perspective and word to the place where you can trust in him. Overall, I don't know that we're doing real well. I know that there's people here in this room that could probably talk about finances better than I could because I'm pretty simple about it, as you'll see. A lot of you probably have more financial acumen than I do in a lot of different areas. But I also know this as I've been pastoring now for 31 years, um, that there's a lot of people who may be able to know how to accumulate resources, who may have great resources, but they don't, they've never learned how to trust God and submit to God with them. 
And, and that's a big deal. So today I want to do just a quick flyby on some financial commands and some financial principles and say, well, okay, how are you doing? How are we doing in light of what the Bible says? So the first thing is this. Thou shalt remember some commands. Thou shalt remember who the owner is. Psalm 24.1 says this, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world, and all who live in it. If you are all and you live in it and you're the Lord's, guess what? He owns you. As a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says you were bought with a price. What was the price? Well, it was the ultimate price, the life of Jesus Christ when he died for you. So if he has you, if he, if he owns you, well, he owns everything of yours. So who's the owner? We really do get a bit confused on this, don't we? I suppose let me illustrate it the way that I understand it. And I, I've shared this with the church before. But... Uh, I told you last week I love candy, and I do. So I'm coming back today. Maybe next week I'll bring C's, but uh, for today I'll, I just want to illustrate something with you. Uh, Pete, would you, would you be my, my, my guinea pig? Sure. I'm going to play a game. I used to play this game with my kids, and uh, usually when they were traveling so I could really take up some time, Ian comes up to me and says, wow, Terry, that's a great game. I says, yeah, when you're kids, it really, it's, it's a fun one. So I'm going to play this game. Take notes if you, maybe you'll want to use it. Um, what I would do is I would, I would just reach my hand in here and I'd go, I'd grab one of these things. It's an M&M's peanut. Okay, what color? Yellow. Sorry. <laughs> now. <laughs> no, it's, it's a great game. Watch. <laughs> you want to try another one? Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Red. Hmm. <laughs> it was green. Are you colorblind? Yeah. yeah. My kids would do the same thing. Marianne, let's try you. Let me get one of my finger first. Okay, got it? Go. Oh, sorry, it's blue again. <laughs> These guys aren't real smart, but... <laughs> but now there's another thing. This is what you would do. This is what... I'm going to kind of expedite the game. You could run this thing for an hour. But... What I would used to do when they started catching on, they kind of got on this hot streak of guessing them. I'd put two or three in my fingers. So if you guessed the right one, you know what I'd do? Oh, brown, sorry, it's yellow. <laughs> and this way I controlled the bag. Here, you guys can have some just for being such good sports. Oh, okay, man, you guys are. Now, what's the purpose of this game? My kids, they get older, around 20. And, uh, Dad, give me the bag. I want the bag. I say, no, I paid for the bag. I'm going to hold the bag. But then now I give them the bag every once in a while to let them do it. See, I, I bought the bag. I own the bag. And I'll play the game with you. But now hear me. Where I finagle my kids once in a while, God never does that. See, everything that God gives you comes from him. It is systemic to him. And sometimes we forget who the owner is. And I'm going to tell you, there are times when God really has done this. He says, he says here's the bag. Now take care of it. And can I tell you, that's really what he's done with our life. He's not playing games with you. Some of the reasons some of us feel like he is, is it's because we really don't follow the principles that God has established in his word and shows us how to do it. We want to finagle and play our own games, make up our own rules. And that's where so many people get into trouble. Never forget, loved ones, who the owner is. Did you know that we live in the East Bay? We're pretty proud of that, aren't we? Get this. <clears throat> Think about this question. There's, there's 3,171 counties in the United States. Tell the, think about this and then tell the person or people at your table, where do you think Contra Costa County falls in, what number are they rated in the United States in terms of median income? Tell the people at your table. Think about it. What do you think? They, out of 31, uh, 3,100 counties. Okay. 
Now, I had someone say second, third. Any others? Okay, how many said top 10? Wrong. Top 20? Wrong. Top 30? Wrong. Top 50? Wrong. Top 60? Okay, yes, it's in the... We rank, get this, number 55. Now, you might be surprised. You go, oh, is that the, that, that's high. When you start thinking about all the different counties, and then you think there's 3,100, almost 3,200 counties in the United States. We're 55th. And I think we're like fourth or fifth in California, behind San Mateo, uh, Marin, uh, the county down south. But we're, I think we're fourth or fifth. But 55 out of 30, almost 3,200. Listen, loved ones, that's pretty high, isn't it? Get this. Where do you think we rank as a county in charitable giving? We rank, according to the Chronicle of Philanthropy Statistics, 2179, 2,179. So we are 55th on the uh, income median, but in giving, 2,179. Can I just tell you something? That's low. That is an incredible discrepancy. So what do we learn about that? Well, I think I would say that we need to be more giving and less selfish. The biblical writers spoke about this a long time ago. In the book of Deuteronomy, Moses is giving his last testament and altar call to the people of Israel. And he says this, as you go into the promised land, never forget. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember, the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. See, don't we kind of live in a place where we all think my power, my strength, my hands, my creativity, my brains, I've really brought this about. Jesus told a story in, in the Gospel of Luke, I believe chapter 12, where this guy, all of a sudden he'd hit this windfall. And he's sitting there thinking one day and he's going, Hmm, hmm, look what I've done. I'm going to build. I'm going to take over. I'm going to do that. And his whole thing was I, 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 I. Just like they said here, uh, Moses said, be careful when you say my power, my goods, my. Jesus says to that man, he says, you fool, guess what? Tonight, your life, your soul is going to be required of you. See, we can be pretty foolish, loved ones, when we begin to believe everything we have, all that we've gained comes from us. Listen, if you're brilliant with money, if you're brilliant with your mind, never forget that is systemic to the God who created you and who loves you. And that we simply, everything that we have should come under submission to him. Secondly, thou shalt embrace your work. Not only does everything belong to God, but understand that you need, you need to embrace your work. Notice what Colossians 3 says, 22 to 25. And don't just do the minimum that will get you by. Do your best. Work from the heart for your real master, for God. Confident that you'll get paid in full when you come into your inheritance. Keep in mind always that the ultimate master you're serving is Jesus Christ. The soul and servant who does shoddy work will be held responsible. Being a follower of Jesus doesn't cover up bad work. Anybody here ever complain about your work? It's a funny thing, isn't it? That we're in this 55, top, you know, number 55, and we have good jobs. And I understand that there's things about all of our jobs that we don't like. But isn't it wonderful that you have a job? at a time when so many people are doing without a job. And sometimes we forget, again, that God has given us. And the very thing that so many people would die for, we shake our fist at and complain and, and murmur about. There's something that's very crippling. Um, 
the reason we do this harvest offering is so that we can serve people, so that we can minister not only locally and give and help people locally, but so we can do that around the world. A couple of years ago, we helped purchase a big truck for some missionaries in Haiti that after the earthquake struck and it was just so devastated, they had to have trucks that could be able to get around and be more mobile to be able to move things, take supplies to the people that are on the outskirts of the city that couldn't get in. I think we gave 12, 10 or $12,000 to help purchase that. that, that the, the nation of Haiti is still trying to recover, and then they just recently had a hurricane there. And they're still devastated. Now listen, We don't understand much of that. The crippling effects of that, where day after day you have nothing to do but to sift through rubbish and garbage and rubble and your life is turned upside down. We don't understand the emotional and physical crippling effects of how that affects people's lives. That's why we will do things so that we can help. And one of the ways that we can do that is because we work. Remember in Ephesians 4, we talked about it. We work for a higher calling. We don't work just for a paycheck. We work so that we can be a blessing in God's economy. It's Thanksgiving week. How often do you literally get down or at least somewhere say, God, thank you for the opportunity to work, to labor, to contribute, to earn? There's few things that are more crippling in our lives, in ungratefulness and thanklessness toward what we have. And it's just not part of our culture. Have you ever noticed that we don't have any restaurants called Thank God It's Monday? (laughs) Why is that? Because thank God it's Friday. Wash my hands, change my clothes, and I'm done with work. Now listen, there are some Fridays where I go, whew, Man, working with Ian and Christopher and Dustin and Monique, I'm just glad I'm done with them. (laughs) Not really. They're the greatest. But I know sometimes you just feel like that. But what if we change that to say, God, thank you. It's Monday. I got a job in the midst of this economy. Because it will begin to change how you see your life, how you see your work, and ultimately how you see your finances. Proverbs 22 verse 29 says this, do you see someone skilled in their work? They will be brought before kings. I am convinced, loved ones, based on the scriptures, it teaches so many wonderful things, but it teaches us to live with gratitude. It teaches us to have a great attitude about our work. It teaches us to have a great work ethic, that when you and I go to work, we should be the best workers. Therefore, that is the foundation, really, to financial wisdom, because if you do the best you can at work and all things are considered equal, most likely you will be one of those that will be raised up and your uh, finances will grow, because God will honor you for being who you're supposed to be there. And next, thou shalt stay out of debt. Remember, this is a flyby. This isn't in-depth, but you need to stay out of debt. Proverbs 22.7 says this, The poor are always ruled by the rich. So don't borrow and don't put yourself under their power. If I was to ask you to raise your hands, I'll bet you most of us in this room, not all of us, but probably most of us would say, there was a time when I was totally under the power of the lender where I lived under so much stress of my credit cards and the credit and all of that, and you just said that was just, that was was some of the worst times, and some of you might say it's some of the worst times of my life right now. I want to just show you how bad this is. If you do a little math, just take $7,500 worth of debt. Think about this. Let's say you said, I am fed up with this. I got $7,500 worth of debt. How long... If you said today, I'm tired of it, I'm done, I'm going to start new, I'm going to start making a minimum payment on $7,500. How long do you think it'd take you to pay that off? How long? 15, 5, 15, 10, 20, 30 years. Take you 30 years to pay that off on $7,500 minimum payment. How much do you think you would pay over that 30-year period on $7,500 worth of debt? $23,000. 
See, who's, who's mastering the moment there? MasterCard. Am I against credit? No. I think it can be a wonderful tool, but it can be a very, very difficult master. And I want to challenge you, loved ones, that you would begin to leverage yourself to make sure that you're getting out of debt. The, debts, the, the debt will squeeze the life out of you, the peace out of you, like almost nothing else in this world. The Bible talks about it a lot. I've just given you one scripture, but if you begin to read Proverbs and you begin to read the scriptures, you'll begin to see where it talks a lot about the, the difficulty of debt. Outside of whatever mortgage you have that's really prudent and within reason and maybe some business loans that might be wise, the general wisdom of the Bible is debt is no good and it ought to come with a warning like our cigarette packages from the Surgeon General. This may be hazardous to your financial, emotional, and spiritual health. And let me just give you a personal word today. If you're in trouble or you get into trouble, Call me or call us. We'll try, we'll try and help you and counsel you out of it. In our next cycle of uh, growth group cycles, starting in January, we hope to have at least one, maybe two, Dave Ramsey groups so that we can help people uh, get some training and understanding. It is not easy, but it is good. It's easy to get in, but it's always hard to get out, isn't it? And we want to help you navigate that. Next one is, thou shalt teach thy children about money. Proverbs, as you read the book of Proverbs, starting in chapter 1, all the way through, it's really Solomon writing to one of his sons or his sons and saying, here's the wisdom of the day for you. If you understand who Solomon is, he was the wisest man in the Bible at that time. As a matter of fact, God blessed him because of the wisdom of when God said he'd give him anything and the requests. That's what Solomon said, give me wisdom. Excuse me. So he has this great wisdom. And from the beginning, he says, son, son, son. He's teaching his son about morality, how to deal with the wayward woman. He's teaching him how to deal with his finances, with debt, with money, how to talk so he isn't uh, putting people down, how to speak in a positive way to build people up. He has just a plethora of practical things that he deals with through the book of Proverbs. And one of them is money. He's teaching his son. See, we all learn about money from our parents, don't we? It'd be fascinating if we could take the time at your table and say, what's the key lesson that you learned from your mama and daddy? For me, I didn't learn anything. There was no lesson. I I mean, I didn't know anything about paying bills, about anything. But what did you learn? Did you learn to be impulsive, to be worried, to be generous, to hoard, to flaunt what you had? Fill in the blank. We've all learned something probably. Now with your kids, don't let that happen. Do what Dave Ramsey on them. Take out some envelopes. When you give them an allowance or if they have a job and they're younger, like when our kids had a paper route, maybe you get an envelope out and you say, here, this one, put 10% in here that you're going to give to God. Put 10% in this envelope that you're going to save and then you let that thing just build up and let them see it build up and then one day you teach them about going to the bank and opening a savings account. And then you maybe have another folder for something else. Maybe you're going to go on vacation this summer and you say, this is, let's put 10 or 15% in here for vacation and save and save and save and maybe you give some incentive. Whatever you save will we'll, we'll match that. And then finally you say, okay, here's money that you can basically spend in this other envelope. And you just do these elemental things to teach them because loved ones are not going to get it any other way. And I believe most of us are born with a, get, with, a, with a spending or a saving DNA. Have you seen that? I got two boys. One of them, when we did paper routes, we, he would get his checks and this is, he would, three or four checks would just kind of lay on his desk for, for three or four months. Then one day he'd go, hey, Dad, I want this. And I'd say, well, let's go cash your checks. And then we'd go cash, you know, and take $10 out of 70 or 80. And he'd still have tons of money left over. Now, my other son, I mean, you know, the, the check was coming in a week. Dad, when's my check coming? I want to cash. I want to cash. I want to cash. I got to buy. I want to buy. And money went through his hands like water. And this is before we ever tried to do much teaching with him. 
So you've got to pay attention to how your kids deal with money and you want to help them because that is one of the greatest services you can do is to teach them not only how to handle their money, how to take care and steward it, but then how to be generous with it and how to share it, how to give to God, how to give to offerings. Because I believe this, loved ones, you can never outgive God. He always takes care of you. He blesses you. Now, hear me. It's like everything else in life. It doesn't happen. It doesn't go, okay, well, I'm going to give 20 bucks in the harvest offering this, this today, and I better get about, you know, 2,000 back. I mean, you know, that 10%, 20% fold thing or whatever it is. No. It happens over the course of a lifetime. I'm not well off now, and I've never been well off because I've done this kind of thing called ministry, or I taught school for a while. And, but God always made it happen. I went to EBC or what's now New Hope and kind of went there to play basketball and got this small little part-time scholarship, and then I got a bigger one later. And during the whole time, Trina was working, and I'd sit around and eat candy and play basketball and study. It was a pretty good gig but for me. But she worked really hard and took care of it, and she didn't make hardly any money. I mean, gets paid twice, one check went to our rent. We had to learn how to make it and still honor God in all that we do. And over the course of our life, I wouldn't say that we're, we we just, we're fine now, we're good. But it's taken a lot of our life to sit there and build the foundation of doing it the way God wants. And now our kids say, Mom, Dad, how'd you do this? How do you do that? Well, we've tried to teach you. You just be faithful in the little things. You do it God's way. See, a lot of times we parents, we just want to give all of our kids money and make it easy for them. And sometimes we do it as a compensation because we can't spend as much time with them as we want. You'll never help them by giving them everything that they want. You are going to model financial stewardship and a lifestyle to your kids. You're going to model credit card abuse and the pressure of that where they're going to hear you talking about it all the time at home. Where are we going to get the bounty? Where are we going to get the, oh, I can't believe, how did you spend so much? But, you know, and you just go on and on, and they're going to hear that. You're going to, they're going to pick up on your chronic debt. They're going to pick up on the fact that you never give to God. Some of your kids may go home today, hey, what would you give in the harvest offering, Mom and Dad? Um, well, you know, it's kind of tight. Got these credit cards, but, you know, your kids are going to learn from you, friends. We're all a model and a mentor to our children. Take it seriously. Talk to them. Show them what you do. Another one, thou shalt have a plan. Paul wrote it to the church at Corinth. 1 Corinthians 16, 2, he said, On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up. Does that mean I've got to give every week? No, not necessarily. The idea there is that you come prepared and you plan. See, it's better to have a plan first and money second. Too many people get money first and then they have a plan and then they wonder why their money goes nowhere and everywhere and they can't keep track of it. Have a plan first so that when the money comes, very little changes. Now, I've shared this plan before and, and as I said, this is, a, this, is, this is like finances for a, a you, can, you, you teach this to a seven or eight-year-old. But I'm amazed at how many adults don't get this, and this is what I teach in premarital counseling because I, you know, anything heavier, they're more worried about kissing and smooching than they are money. But um, it's basically this. It's not original with me, but it's the 80-10-10 rule. Well, what is that, Pastor? Well, it's this, 10%. You take the first 10% and you give it to God. Had somebody after first service say, well, Pastor, now are you talking about net or gross? I said, I don't care. Just take 10%. If you start there, then, you know, talk to God and he'll, he'll explain to you. I'm not into the grocery than that. I'm just into giving. You figure that one out. Now, I know some pastors, on, especially on, well, you know, if you want a gross blessing or a net blessing, whatever. Just, just start somewhere. <laughs> now, now, hear me. Now, hear me. Because this isn't legalism here. This is life. And I tell people, I says, okay, so you've got a great debt. And you say, there's no way I can give 10%, Pastor. No way. Okay, 
this is the only place when it comes to finances, Malachi 3, where God says, test me. No testament on anything else but your finances. And he says, test me in this, about giving this 10%. Well, people come to me and say, Pastor, I would go bankrupt if I did that because of my debt. And this is what I tell them. Other pastors will say, you give 10% no matter what. I don't argue with that, but I'm not going to take responsibility. I'm gonna, I, this is what I tell people. If God says test you, then start at 2%. And then as God blesses you, as your debt goes down and God gives you a raise through your good work because you're being a great uh, uh, employee or employer or business owner, then you begin to raise the percent. Why? Because you trust God. As your debt goes down, your giving goes up, and then pretty soon you're this godly steward. And then pretty soon you go, wow, this is working. I'm giving away more money than I've ever given away, but I got more money I don't know what to do with. It really is amazing. We're going to have some testimonies, video testimonies of Creeksiders who have told their story. And we're going to start showing them periodically on Sunday morning so you don't think it's just some pastor talking about it up here. I could get, you know, I've got, I think I've got six of those ready to go. And a couple more that have written to me and said, I just want to tell you, Pastor, we give and we're so thankful. I don't know what you give. I don't know what anybody here gives. I only find out, like, today, probably uh, sometime this week, I'll probably go in my office and there'll probably be two or three of you that say, Pastor, I just want to say amen to what you said on Sunday. I've been being faithful to God all these years with this 10 or 20% or whatever they give, and they just say, you know, I'm glad you shared that because people need to hear it. That's the kind of emails I get on this whole thing. Because I know some of you, oh, it's kind of self-serving, Pastor. You're trying to get more money for the church. I'm not. I'm being neglectful. I'm, I'm, I'm being spiritually abusive if I don't teach you how to trust God and let him bless you like he has so many people that are part of this church and other churches. Have a plan. Second part of that is 10% to God, then 10% in savings. Now, I'm just going to tell you, I'm, well, I'm older, and uh, for a lot of my life, I've never been able to save 10%. Part of it is, is because I'm giving. So again, I do the percentage thing. I try and set up a savings that's maybe at 6% or 4%, depending on where I'm in my life. But if you can do 10 giving, 10 saving, and then you've got 80%. It's crazy. You've got 80%. God doesn't say, God says it's all mine, but I'm giving you 80 or 90%. All I'm asking for is 10. It shows you trust me. And I'll unpack this in a couple of, uh, in, in the next few months, because I'm going to probably do a series on our money talks. What does our money say? Our money says, spend me. Our money says, in me trust. Our money says, save me. And our money says, give me. And I'll unpack these biblically a little bit more. But then there's the 80% loved ones that you can live on. Now, this is a generalization, which means it isn't 100% true. But generally, if you can, most of us should be able to live on 80% of what we make. If we don't, maybe we're overextended because we went into a house that was above our means. Or maybe we've got too many cars. Or too expensive. I don't know. But generally speaking, most of us in, in this 55 number in East County, we should be able to live on the 80%. Which kind of leads into the next one, thou shalt declare enough. Proverbs 30, verse 15 says this, the leech has two daughters. Give, give, or more, more, they cry. In our consuming nation and mindset, the chronic desire for more will suck the joy and gratitude out of you. The Bible uses this kind of ugly but remarkable image, this of a leech. Now, I was thinking about this. What an ugly image. Have you ever been around leeches? Anybody here? No, I haven't either. But there's places, you know, you go swimming, and all of a sudden you come up and you've got leeches on you. What do they do? They suck the blood out of you. They attach themselves. Now, this is interesting because I was doing a little bit of study on this. You know, they're coming back. Oh, in, in medicine, they're starting to use them again for uh, certain injuries and, and uh, surgeries and everything, and they put them on the, um, 
on the on the surgical place where they were cut and or a sore or certain things or where they have infections and they're starting to use leeches and even some maggots again for medicinal purposes. I don't want to ever do that. It just it really creeps me out. But look at these pictures here. Maybe you've never seen no, that's, yeah, that's just a nice little leech, but that's what they do is they put it on somebody. And then here's this gal. I don't know what she's doing. That's creepy, isn't it? But look at the image of what the Bible says. The leech has two daughters. Give me, give me. See, when was the last time you ever asked yourself, do I have enough? Oh, no, man, it's just leechville. Give me more. What if we really seek the Jesus way where every moment of our life we experience God's presence and we surrender to his will? What if we did something as a church that was totally counterculture? What if you were to say here today, I'm declaring I now have enough. And that means I'm not going to try and seek a higher standard of living, but I'm going to live where I am. What if we took today and made it a leachable moment? I mean, a teachable moment. And we said, this is it. I'm going to live on what God's given me. And as he blesses me, I'm going to save it. And I'm going to invest it. I'm going to learn how to use what I have for kingdom currency at different times. Or maybe if I've never learned to give, I learned to give. Instead of just getting a 5% raise and then my standard of living goes up 5%. What, what if we did that as a church? Do you think we could begin to influence a community? What if we decided as a church, that's enough, and we just be serious to cap our lifestyle at this level? Now, some of you are really younger, I understand, and, you know, and you've got to buy a house yet, you want to buy a house. I'm all for that, but I'm talking about those of us who've been around for a while. And, we, you know, you look around, you go, it's Christmas. What do I want? What do I need? Nothing. But what if in the rest of our life we did that? Instead of living to think we've got to acquire more. This is a real big deal between you and God. And as a follower of Jesus where you still enjoy life, you enjoy the blessings of what you've earned, but you learn to say in areas, enough. I'm going to be content. I'm going to be satisfied. And I'm going to begin to use these things and look around for what God has. Which brings us to this next one. Thou shalt look around. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. Do you hear that? When you are kind to the poor, you are literally being kind to Jesus Christ. I wonder if that statement isn't what Jesus thought on toward the end of his ministry when he said in Matthew twenty-five forty, inasmuch as you do it to one of the least of my brethren, you do it to me. When you do it to the disenfranchised, when you do it to the marginalized, when you do it to the brokenhearted, when you do this for the poor, you do it to me. I talked about this a year ago in our annual celebration meeting, Casting Vision, I, and I, I just totally forgot about it. But I said, what if we as a church, what if we took one Sunday morning, just had a compassion weekend, where we set up five different venues of compassion outreach in our community, and we came in the morning at 8 or 9 o'clock, and we just spent 20 20 minutes worshiping. And then we said, okay, over here, people that want to go go minister to the homeless with Doug, and the people over here that want to go clean up a school, and the people over here that want to go do this or go do that. We just, the church leaves the building on a Sunday morning and go ministers for three or four or five hours. And then we come back and we worship again. And then we begin to tell the stories of what God has done. Could you imagine doing that? And then we really do, we put a little bit more horsepower and God power and foot power to some of the things that we're talking about. And we really do speak to the community and say, we are about reaching you. See, there's some churches that want to be the best church um, in the community. We've always said we want to be the best church for the community. What if we added to that now, we want to be the best church with our community? And we go out there and we say, listen, we have you come to us to do a lot of stuff, but we're coming out here this Sunday morning. 
Would you be on board with that? Could we do that? Yeah. See, I'll tell you what I love hearing now. What's happening is, is like when we do our trunk or treat, we got people that call us or say at the, you know, registration, hey, we love what you're doing. We love your church. They don't come, but they love what we do. And now they're saying, hey, can we join you? Can we flip our trunk up and be a part of what you're doing? Or even at the crab feed, it's going so well. A lot of the people that come, because so many of you serve, a lot of the people that buy tickets come and eat. You know, we give $20,000, $25,000 away to schools. They say, we love that. That is incredible. Can we help? What's the answer? No, you're not a Creeksider. No, I'm just kidding. Of course not. You can. Of course you can help. Imagine if we did that Compassion Weekend and you had some friends. They'd never set foot on a Sunday morning here. But if you said, you know what, we're going to go minister to the schools. We're going to go touch the homeless. I'll bet you got friends that say, you know what, I'm on board for that. And we can begin to show people that we really do care even more about out there. God, Open my eyes and my heart to the world to see the children, to see the seniors, the sick, the homeless, the marginalized. I think we can make a bigger dent. I think we can continue to be the church with our community as we attempt to be the best church for our community. Second to the last one is thou shalt grow in the grace of giving generously. I want you to do this. I, I, this is too much. I'm going to talk about this probably sometime, but this is too much for me to unpack this Sunday morning. But this is what I want you to do during this Thanksgiving week. I want you to read these two chapters because this is about a poor church that had made a commitment to help and then they kind of dropped their commitment and Paul comes to them and he says, listen, don't forget. You've been blessed. Stick to your commitment. Step up. You can do it because you've always been a generous church. And I just want you to read it devotionally because Paul makes this powerful statement. He says, now, uh, in chapter 8, verse 7, he says, now, as you excel in everything, he says, you excel in your faith, how you talk, in your speech, your knowledge, in sticking by the stuff, and your love for us, he says, now excel also in this grace. This grace of what? Well, if you read it, he's talking about the grace of giving. You can be an excellent person in all these different areas, but God says, I also want you to excel in your giving. And that's going to be different for all of us. Take some time to hear Paul's words to this church on the spirit of giving. And the last one is this. Thou shalt look forward to thy final audit. Again, this is the season that we're reminded of the birth of the Lord Jesus. And it really is this season. It's either marked by spending or by generosity. And I want to make sure that Creeksiders understand generosity because that's what Jesus brought to you and me, his great love. It cost him everything for you and for me. This is what Jesus said in Luke 12, 48. From, for everyone who has been given much, much will be required or demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. There is this godly capacity that when we give, he gives us more. He expects more when he blesses us. That's a good thing. It's kind of like the old axiom when the rich, the rich only get richer. You know why? Because God trusts them when they're giving to give more. I'll tell you one of the most important pieces of advice and financial wisdom you'll ever hear. I'm going to give it to you right now. You won't hear it on TV and you won't read it in a book. You want to hear what it is? We're all going to die. Well, that doesn't sound very good. Say this with me. I'm going to die. That's a cheerful little thought for Sunday morning when we're talking about this stuff, isn't it? I've sat with a lot of people on their deathbeds, friends. I have never heard anybody regret not making more money. 
I've never sat with somebody on their deathbed before and heard them say, man, I'm just so glad for the size of my portfolio and the buildings and the homes and everything I've got. I've never heard that. In that moment, what matters, what gets really clear is it's about loving God. It's about asking Jesus to be their forgiver, their healer, their leader. It's not about their stuff. It's about loving people. It's about what did my life count for? What did I do to bless others? Can I tell you something, friends? You don't have to wait till you're on your deathbed to figure this truth out. You're going to stand before God and there's going to be an accounting. It's not mean. It's not malicious. It's not going to be negative, but it's, it's, I don't know how it's going to work because heaven's going to be so perfect, but there's going to be an accounting. And sometimes we get so caught up in the consumption of our own stuff, we forget that God's the owner. And in his great love, he's going to hold us accountable. Oh, remember the girl with the cookies? Well, when her flight was announced, she went in to get her travel ticket. She opened her handbag to get it, and to her shock and embarrassment, she found a pack of unopened cookies. Not only, not only had she been eating cookies, she had been eating that man's cookies, <laughs> thinking they were hers. See, loved ones, how I deal with and see the cookies of my life depends on whose I believe they are. And never forget, you are where you are because of the Lord Jesus Christ who loves you and invites you to be a generous person for his kingdom. Amen?